Born to Praise God. And that's the title of my new series that I gave you the first installment two Sundays ago. And I've come this morning with installment number two entitled Praise is Communal. Coming from the word community or communion, communing together. I want you to think about that as I share this, this simple message with you this morning that our praise to God is actually a practice, an exercise of communion. We don't think of praise ordinarily as a communal experience. We think of it as giving credit or giving um, endorsement or glorying and expressing the attributes or the qualities of something or somebody. But the praise of God is those things and more. It is actually an act of connection. It is a communion. And, and I'm going to share with you this morning one point, if I don't say anything else, that helps you today get this point that when you praise God, you are entering into communion with Him. And if you lack communion with the Lord, communication, community, that that intimate embrace between you and the Heavenly Father, then you really need to listen to this series about praising God because that is how to get into an embrace with God is to become a praiser of the Lord. Can you say amen? amen. All right, Psalm 33, 1 is our text and it says, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise is a home for the upright. What a peculiar statement. Praise is a home for the upright. So the psalmist says, and this, this sentiment, this idea is expressed dozens and dozens of times throughout Psalms and throughout the entire Bible, but it's really nowhere said more succinctly than it is in Psalm 33.1. Shout for joy to the Lord, because when you do, a home for God and you to fellowship together in occurs in that praise. Now, the entire work of reconciliation between God and man, since man fell into sin and was separated from God, God's entire program, his entire process of bringing us back together ultimately through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, that entire work of reconciliation can be expressed in two simple steps. Now, there's some very complex theological words that have deep ideas behind them that are all part of any, if you go to Bible school or go to seminary and you learn about the work of redemption, of reconciliation, you'll learn about six, seven, or eight uh, theological terms firmly rooted in the Bible that describe the work of reconciliation. But for basic people like you and I who want to get up tomorrow morning on Monday and walk with God, I can tell you that the whole work of reconciliation boils down to two steps. So isn't that nice? We're not going to bog you down. Two steps. Let me tell you what they are. Number one, God comes to us. Not we come to God. God comes to us. We can't come to God. God comes to us. That's number one. 
Number two, you ready? We receive Him. I know you're overwhelmed by the simplicity. I can, I can see that just suck the breath right out of your lungs. But let me say it again, just in case it just went by you, because it was so simple. God comes to you. You receive Him. Now, there are many people who've been in and out of church, have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, have thought and considered, and have wrestled, perhaps have gotten involved with religion, and today are sitting... In a, in a godless life, saying, well, I tried it and it didn't work for me. Or I, I just can't seem to, it's just too complicated or it just seems too distant. Well, you haven't tried the simple two-step approach. God came to you, you receive Him. Pretty simple. The only reason why anybody can be reunited with God, as we call saved, reconciled, is because God did come. And he's come to you, and now you must receive him. Simple as that. Let me break this down just a little bit. Step one, God came to you. God came to us. Let me put it in the, these terms. God wants to be with us. God wants to be with us. Think about that thought for a moment. The almighty creator of heaven and earth wants to be with you. It's one thing to think God wants to be with us because we can almost sort of put him with some other people and we're with those people so kind of he's with us. It's that group faith mentality. But no, let me be specific about it. God wants to be with you. Not in a metaphysical sense, not in an abstract sense, not in a mental theological sense, with you. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever truly been in love? I mean heart sick in love, and you had to have that person. What did that love demand? You had to be with them. You had to be with them so much that you were willing to forsake all else, walk up that aisle, enter a covenant, no backing out. You knew you were doing the right thing. You pledged yourself to that person to be with them for the re remainder of time in holy marriage. That's love. That's love. Praise the Lord. So God wants to be with us like that. God is love, the Bible says, for God so loved the world, He came in a form that we could receive. So, religion, religion is the miserable story of man trying to find God. But Christianity, not a religion, Christianity centered in the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the beautiful story of God finding us. When you read the Gospels, you're not reading about how to find God. You're reading about how God found you. Now, people in the world always say there's many ways to God. It's a waste of time to try to tell people that's not true because it is true. There are many ways to God. They never finish the sentence. There are many ways to God. And none of them work. Amen. Let me say it again. There are many ways to God. None of them work. 
Man cannot get to God. However, there's only one way that God came to us. And that one worked once for all. Hallelujah. Because we are broken in the failings of our sin. But God is perfect. And His perfect love, in His perfect love, He said, I'm going to come to you. Hallelujah. And so in Matthew chapter 1, we read, You shall call His name the angels in heaven that night. When Jesus was born, sang out of the heavens, you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. He came to us. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. How are sinners saved? By coming to God? No, sinners are saved because Jesus came into the world. Let, let me say it again. We tell people all the time, have you come to Jesus? Stop telling people, have you come to Jesus? Because the minute you say you have to come to Jesus, they start thinking about what they have to do to get to Jesus. And, the, and that's why everybody usually who's confronted with that invitation says, no, I'd, I'd rather not. A real, it's overwhelming to me. But when they realize, Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hear my voice, let him simply open, and I will come in and fellowship with him. So God came to us. Hallelujah. And that is how sinners are saved. Can you say amen? amen. So step one is God wants to be with us. And one more time, let me just say, try to wrap your mind around that thought for a moment. The Almighty God wants to be with, let's not say us, Let's make it specific and say, you, God wants to be with you. That is hard sometimes for people to take because you think immediately of the things that you've done that are not God-like, the attitudes that you've had, the things you've said about God, about Jesus, or the ways you've treated other people, perhaps some of the sins that you've been trapped in or today are still struggling to overcome. And you think, how could God in His perfection and His love want to be with me. Yet the Bible says, while we were yet in sin, Jesus came to die for the ungodly. You see, we're not talking about a human love. We're talking about the love that made us. And it's befitting that this is on Mother's Day when Jesse had gotten up and talked about unconditional love. It's an amazing love when you, when you think about, when I think about what a young mother who hasn't had a child yet is willing to expose herself to, having heard all the nightmares of what it's like to produce a child, to have a child, I think, my goodness, as a man, I would just be, whew. <laughs> um, that ain't happening. I'm not going to, mm-mm, no. I'll have a dog. I can have some nephews, some nieces. God knew the pain it would take to produce children to give his life, to pay the penalty for our sins. He would go before the divine court of justice and he would lay his life down in payment for our sins in order to make us righteous and remove the barrier that would keep any sinner from coming to him. He paid the price full. Isn't that absolutely wonderful? Why would he do that knowing that it would cost him not the moment of death on Calvary's cross, but all the torture leading up to it, the betrayal, the unhappiness, the misery, the pain. And 
the humiliation of being the almighty God and now having to be spit upon and humiliated and lied about and then being hung on a cross with the devil sitting there and all the demons in hell laughing their head off at you saying, look, look at the Savior, look at, he's a loser. Jesus didn't grit his teeth and bear it to get through it. The Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the shame of the cross. He ran to the cross with joy because he wants to be with you. You were the prize. You were his inheritance. Being with you is what he wanted. The problems in your life, the sins, the cleaning you up, the making you compatible with him, he can handle that. He can do that. He can take care of it. He knows you can't straighten yourself out. He's going to tune you up. He'll fix you up. He'll straighten you out. Just open the door and let him in. Will you let him in? You see, that's your part. He will come to you. Will you receive him? So step two is praise opens the door. Praise opens the door. Religion says good works opens the door. Promises open the door. You know, promising I'll be different. You know, promises that you intend to keep, but you're probably going to break at some point. But the Bible says praise opens the door. So I'm going to take the rest of the few minutes I've got this morning and share with you what it means that praise opens the door. Let's begin by kind of hearkening back to something, uh, some of the things I shared in the first message. And I'd encourage you to pick up that message, download it. It's available for free on iTunes and Podbean. Uh, the first installment in this message, being at home with God. And listen to it because there's elements in that message that explain the significance of what I'm going to tell you right now. And that is simply this, that the story of God's desire to make a home among us begins with the Garden of Eden, where he prepared a special garden that his man made in his image and likeness and he could be together and commune and have that fellowship. It began in the garden. And then after the fall and after sin had taken root in Adam and the human race fell and went out from the garden into the world and begin to live under the curse and under the dominion of Satan, that desire to be with man didn't stop. God didn't stop desiring to be with man. That's an eternal love that God never switched off and can't switch it off. And so that desire to make a home among us went from the garden to the tabernacle of Moses when God gave specific instructions about how to build a special sanctuary. Then from the tabernacle to the temple where God gave specific instructions to, to David and Solomon about how to build that special sanctuary. And eventually the story of God building a house to be with us terminated, came together, was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ who said in John 15, abide in me. Praise the Lord. Well, when the Lord spoke to Moses about building a house that we could dwell in together and have that fellowship in Exodus 25, he said to Moses, tell the Israelites to take an offering for me. Isn't that interesting? I don't think God was short, had bills to pay or anything. There was a reason why he asked for this offering. Tell the Israelites, take an offering for me from every person motivated by a willing heart. 
you are to receive my offering. And let them make for me a sanctuary so that I may live among them. Let me just point out that phrase to you because it's a, it's a little bit startling. Let them make me a sanctuary. Everyone say sanctuary. Sanctuary, sanctuary simple put, is a sacred house. A house built out of materials that are sacred because they create the environment that God can live in and a redeemed people can live in together. We can breathe the same air, look at each other, talk to each other, fellowship, embrace, have communion together. And so God says to Moses, I want them to build a sanctuary so that I may live among them. So this verse shows us that God must have a sanctuary in order to live among us. There needs to be a sanctuary because the world is a fallen world with brokenness and lies and deception and sin. And God in His holiness is not compatible with this sinful world. Um, if God were to show up in His glory, everything within the parameters of His glory would just simply cease to exist. You know how I know that? If I walk into a dark room and turn a natural light switch on, the darkness doesn't scream and say, no, don't send me out of this room. It just ceases to exist. The light ends the darkness. And in His glory, if God were to show up, the darkness and we who are the particles of darkness in this world would cease to exist. God loves us, wants to be with us, but has to have a special context, a special sanctuary that can survive our being together in. Can you say amen? amen? And so because God and you need an environment in which you can both survive in and be together in, that environment must be built, Jesus said, out of spirit and truth. He told in John chapter 4, the woman at the well. The Father seeks those who worship Him in spirit and truth. So the sanctuary that God told Moses to build would never really succeed as an appropriate sanctuary. It was all symbolic with the, the tabernacle and the, all the elements of the tabernacle. In fact, let me say to you that no physical building, neither the tabernacle of Moses nor the temple, nor the temple that Solomon built, no building in and of itself has ever succeeded to house God or to have a sanctuary that God actually would dwell in until its people began to praise the Lord. Listen out of Chronicles chapter 5. After the building of Solomon's temple, which was built to specifications that God had ordered Solomon Everything, the colors and the details, all represented symbols of spiritual truth as close as it could possibly get. This temple was built. On the day they dedicated the temple, Solomon had called all the Levitical priests, sanctified and set apart, washed and ready and baptized to serve by playing instruments and music. Hundreds of them. They had a couple hundred just playing bugles, trumpets. Hundreds of singers, and they all got together to have this great 
dedication of the temple and invite God into his new house. Well, let me read what happened. 2 Chronicles chapter 5. The trumpeters and singers performed together in unison to praise and to give thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raised their voice and praised the Lord with these words. He is great. His faithful love endures forever. That was the lyrics of their song. Yeah, not too wordy. God is great. His faithful love endures forever. And so here's the band. It's huge and giant orchestra. All the singers, all in one accord, lifting it up. And the Bible says, at that moment, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests could not stand to continue their service because the cloud for the glorious presence of the Lord had filled the temple. So... All of that physical preparation and all of that planning and the schedule of service and, and what was supposed to happen next came to a screeching halt because God stepped into the house. At what moment did God step into the house? Not when they offered Him the key. Not when they cut the tape or lifted the rope. But when they began to praise. The Bible says at that moment, the glory of God came in like a cloud and just disheveled everybody. They started falling out. Yes, Somebody say, praise the, Lord. praise the Lord. Now we come to Jesus because no building has ever housed God. And Jesus is God's sanctuary. Jesus himself is God's sanctuary. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Jesus shows up and he is the perfect sanctuary of the living God. Everything he says, everything he does, everything he knows, every act, everything about him is absolutely perfect and holy. In fact, he is the I am, the eternal God made into a man. He is the perfect house that God dwells in. But not only is he God's house, he is offered to us as our sanctuary. He's our home. Listen to Revelation chapter 21. At the very end of the Bible, it says, And I saw no temple in the new Jerusalem, in the holy city. For the Lord God Almighty himself and the Lamb are its temple. Yes. Jesus is the temple of God. When we receive Him, we receive our home. Now let's look again. That verse that we opened up with, our text says, Shout for joy in the Lord. Praise is a home for the righteous. You see, Jesus Himself, when we praise the Lord, when we turn our attention to Him, when our hearts open up and we say, Lord, you are awesome. You are wonderful. I'm so grateful for all that you've done. And we begin to quote back to him the scriptures that we've learned, declare our faith in him, reach our arms around him with our praises. We are embracing the living God because the two things that make the sanctuary of God, spirit and truth, are at work in our praises. Jesus is the truth. 
And he is the spirit in bodily form. He, that is why he is our savior, because he provides a house for us to worship God in. You came to church this morning, but did you come into the sanctuary? You received Jesus at some point in your life, but how often do you go to church? You say every Sunday. No, no. Some Christians never praise God. They think about God. They read the Bible. Um, they pray. But do we praise? You're going to learn about what praising God truly is. But it is a sad state of affairs to have to report to you today that in some churches, praise is never really taught. Some people praise God maybe once a year, every year or so. They have a little event where they praise God. Think about it. Once a year, maybe once a month. It's not enough. Because the Lord has come to give us a house where he can be with us. Isn't it sad to think that Jesus is with you, but you're not with him? You see, that's what this is all about. He came not just to live in your heart, not just to save your soul so your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, but so that he could be with you. Is he with you? You see, being with him and having his presence requires praise. Praise is what opens the door and brings you and the Father together in communal fellowship. Can you say amen? amen. That's how you enter the sanctuary is by praising God. Shout for joy in the Lord. Praise is a home for the upright. In fact, I'll say to you that no church really has a real sanctuary until its people create one through their corporate praise. And that's not three people out of 30 or 75 out of 300 praising God. That's everyone in one accord praising God. We're talking about corporate praise. You say, well, why does everybody have to? Well, for the same reason that if you're praying... While you're thinking about what you've got to pick up at the grocery store, if you're trying to praise God while you're uh, planning what you're going to um, uh, save on your uh, TV channel to watch uh, later in the week, um, guess what? You are not connecting with God. For the Bible says God is holy. He deserves and requires your full attention. You're really not praising until you praise Him with your attention. Praise Him with your full attention. Just like if you hug or kiss your husband or your wife and your mind is somewhere else, can they tell it? Can they tell it? And do you get kind of pushed away saying, you know what, come back when you're serious? You're not going to get very far. You're not going to get past that hug. I can tell you that. God, I, I could have had a better amen then, but I'm sure that many of you are under fear of death. <laughs> So let me just say this to you. If individual praise opens the door for communion with God, corporate praise opens the door for the manifestation of the power of God. All throughout the Bible, when God's people got into one accord and began to praise Him from the least to the greatest, from the youngest to the oldest, from the smallest to the largest, from the least important to the most important, when everybody began to join in, when everybody began to sing, those that were gregarious and naturally outgoing and had that effervescent personality, and those that were shy, quiet, everybody, everybody. 
That's why the Bible says we bring a sacrifice, an offering of praise. Praise is deliberate. Praise isn't because you've got a personality to praise God. Praise is because you've humbled yourself. You've stepped off of self-centeredness and you've stepped into Christ-centeredness and you're praising Him because He's worthy instead of worrying about what I'm going to look like and, you know, I feel awkward or it's out of character for me or I'm going to sound off-key. You probably are off-key. Matter of fact, some of you are off-key and don't even know it. And I'm, talking, and I'm talking to myself. But the Bible says, God doesn't need much. A joyful noise will do. Can you say amen? Praise the Lord. So, you know, you don't have to be a great singer, orator, stringing a lot of phrases and words together. It's the heart rejoicing in the Lord. So we need to get in one accord in everybody. When we begin to praise the Lord, the communion goes from communion to power. Read it in the Old Testament. Read it in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, when, uh, when, the, uh, it, when Judah under King Jehoshaphat was about to be wiped out by a confederation of three armies, the Bible says they begin to praise and worship the Lord. And then they sent the praise team out in front of the army. And as they were praising, they said, Bless the Lord, His mercy endures forever. And the Bible says, listen to the verse, when they begin to shout, now these are the praisers in front of the troops. They're facing the cavalry, the infantry, the artillery, whatever it is that they had. They're walking right into the jaws of the enemy, singing and shouting, praise the Lord, His mercy endures forever. And the Bible says, when they began to shout and praise, the Lord suddenly attacked the Amorites, Moabites, and the men of Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. Why did God suddenly invade them? It says at the moment they began to shout and praise. You know what? D.L. Moody said God's one pent up revival. Just waiting for someone to open the door. Listen, the Lord was leaning leaning within Israel with His mighty hand to cut down those armies that had threatened and badmouthed Him and threatened His people. Leaning, He was waiting for that door to open. What opened the door that let God break out on the enemy? Praise opened that door. The minute they said, praise the Lord, His mercy endured forever, God said, whoa, get me at him. Hallelujah. And that makes me wonder how many things you and I go through. God is leaning into that situation, wanting to break onto the scene to deliver you, to help you, to release power in your life. But you're not the type to praise God. You believe God. You're on your face praying. You're reading the Bible. Why, you know, four out of five ain't bad. God must be picky. It's because we haven't been properly taught praise. We think praise is a warm-up to the message. We think praise is so that people will come back next week. We think praise is so we can emotionally get ourselves uh, tanked up and, and loose a little bit of that heaviness that we walked in. No. While, it, while praise produces those results, praise is communion with God. 
We have not gotten into an embrace until we've begun to praise the Lord. This is why people are leaving spirit-filled churches week after week after week, getting in their car, and whatever they got evaporates. It just goes away. They can't even remember the message, and they just settle back into the same grind. Come Monday morning, nothing's changed. Everything's the same. If you want real change, if you want to see the miracle signs and wonders, begin to praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God wants to be among us. Not like a museum we visit, but like a house we live in. Can you say amen? Too many churches, too many prayer lives, too many praise lives are like a visit to a museum. When's the last time you were at the museum? That's what I thought. Not even once a year. A lot of Christians don't even praise God once a year. Can you say amen? You know, as I said, some Christians never praise the Lord. But then there's people who are constantly praising God. They won't shut up. It can be an irritation. If you're not a praiser of God, it'll rub you the wrong way when you get around people that are always, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, let everything that has breath praise Him. He's the glory and the lifter of my head. And they're off key. Just drives you crazy. But they're praising God. Lord loves it. They, that Jesus and them got something going on. Can you say Amen. But the problem is people that are always praising God. Psalm 34, His praise shall continually be in my mouth. People that are constantly praising God, you know what? We call them fanatics. We say, oh, he's a fanatic about God. Oh, she's a fanatic about God. But why don't we call people that are constantly breathing fanatics about air? Think about it. How many times have you breathed since you've been in this service? You haven't stopped breathing, have you? Nobody would accuse you of being a fanatic about the air. (gasps) 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 Got to get some air. (gasps) 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 (gasps)
You'll, it, it'll kick in. You'll start breathing again. Do you know what I'm saying to you? But we have pity parties. We say, I'm not going to praise God. I'm not going to praise Him. I prayed and, and I didn't get what I asked for. All this trouble's coming on me. I don't see what I have to praise God about. Hold your breath. That's why so many people walk around knocked out. Amen? Walk around knocked out. All right, I'm going to finish this. and We're going to pray. Stand to your feet. I want to challenge you today with this last scripture. It's Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. And I'm going to challenge you to learn this verse. I would challenge you to memorize it for one reason. Challenge yourself every day to do it. Ask yourself, beginning today and this week, can I improve? Can I step up? Can I increase my praise life? Here's the verse that I want you to base it on. You go to God and say, Lord, I'm coming to you based on Hebrews 13, 15. Help me do this. Say that with me. Help me do this. All right, this is what you're going to ask the Lord to help you with. Hebrews 13, 15. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips acknowledging his name. Why?